freedom. No, excuse me. Good morning. It's good to be here at City Hood. It's been a while since I've been here for any any purpose, and uh, I've been since I think the last time I saw some of you, I was still a pastor at a, at Faith Christian Fellowship. I'm no longer there. I'm at work with Baltimore Antioch Leadership Movement, which is a movement in our in our region of churches uh, of trying to um, revitalize churches and new churches and. We work with a seminary here, Metro Baltimore Seminary. We're doing a lot of different things. So it's good to hear prayers for Abbott Memorial. We're, we're helping Abbott Memorial Church, your sister church. I didn't know that. That's good. We'll keep us in your prayers. We had a membership class yesterday. Several people were there. Um, I work for, with Grace Reform Church in our denomination. Uh, I'm, I'm the interim pastor there, helping there. Um, we were requested to help City of Hope. We sent our head of our board, Bill Cianella, who's preached here a couple times, I think, already. Uh, he was my college roommate, so be nice to him. <laughs> we go back a long ways to Frostburg. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach this morning. Uh, maybe I have a loud voice. I feel like I'm loud, so I don't know. Turn me down. I don't know. Or maybe I'll talk, I'll talk, I'll talk softer. <laughs> Philippians two, uh, 4, verses 2 to 9. is. And, and I'm going to talk uh, uh, about the peace of God, the amazing peace of God that we see in that passage. Um, do you stand up when you read scripture? I know some churches do, some churches don't. Please stand as, 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 uh, as I, I'm going to read. I know you've heard the scripture. I want to read well, just the, the, the main verse, which is verse 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I pray you'd use uh, these these words, the words that I would speak, Lord, to, to give grace and comfort and joy and, and conviction, whatever it is your Holy Spirit wants to do in each of our lives this morning. Thank you for, for the gift of life, the gift of salvation through Jesus, and I pray you'd bless us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's a lot of anxiety in the world, isn't there? I mean, just these little things here have, in, have escalated the feeling of anxiety in our world and, and all the things related to this, the pandemic, the arguments about should you mask, should you not mask, all that anxiety has just aroused our world. We see, I, I, I'm become very aware of, of the fact that anxiety and, and, and stress is at a high point in our world. I mean, just this, just a few weeks ago, we've seen that, that uh, on the West Coast in Los Angeles, uh, in, in, uh, at the docks, the ships aren't moving. And they're telling us that the, that the, 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 the stocks, on the, the stores will not be stocked this Christmas. And anxiety arouses all over the place. We've seen uh, the last few weeks, we saw uh, the anxiety over Facebook. You know, the, you, you know, the things you put on Facebook, maybe someone's watching over your shoulder. Yes, someone is watching over your shoulder. We've seen... Well, we saw, we saw what happened in Afghanistan. We've seen what's happened at the border. There is an, an increased anxiety in our world. There's no doubt about it. Even the change of climate is causing stress for many people, and it should. Everywhere we look, our peace is disturbed. The, you know, the good news of the gospel is that despite all that stuff that's going on, we can still have God's peace. We can still have God's peace, and God wants us to experience his peace in spite of all that's going on. And hopefully this passage, we'll, we'll begin to see something about how, how we can do that. See, the main point is that God's peace is available for us. It's available to those who trust him, who seek him, who follow him. 
here's a piece that's available. I was, I was looking about at um, Jeremiah chapter 29, which is an interesting passage. It's where the, the, uh, the, ex, the Jewish exiles are now in Babylon. And, no, they're, they're, they're refugees in a strange land. And, they're, they're, of course, there's great anxiety and stress. And, and they want to say, Lord, how long are we going to be here? How long is this going to last? And so God has some interesting things to say to them in chapter 29. Let me just read some of it. Uh, um, the, the, he, he says, um, just settle in. He says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens. In other words, establish yourself in Babylon. Don't think that next week I'm coming and going to deliver you, take you back to Jerusalem. That's not going to happen. He says, settle, settle there. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And it's that's the ESV translation. And I looked at the various translations. It's, that word welfare is translated in several ways in, in translations. Uh, prosperity, well-being, good. But most translations translate it peace. It's the Hebrew word shalom. You maybe have heard that word, shalom. Pray for the shalom, not for, for Israel and for you, but for the place where I've sent you. Babylon, this pagan place, they need shalom as well. And, and so he says, um, he goes on to say, um, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. In other words, yeah, I'm going to come 70 years from now. <laughs> he says, he says um, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare or peace, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You, know, you notice that um, they're to seek him, they're to, they're to call upon him, they're to pray. You know, the, the place of finding peace and shalom, it, 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 the, the, the pathway to that seems to be to seek the Lord with all your heart. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here in our text today. That uh, he, he's going to link finding God's peace to prayer, to seeking him. In fact, God promises to, the, the kind of peace that's beyond understanding, that's incomprehensible, that's beyond comprehension, that's simply amazing. My title is The Amazing Peace of God. God wants each of us to find that place where we experience his amazing peace. Now, a key distinction. The Bible in the New Testament talks about peace with God and the peace of God. Whenever I hear the word peace of God, I think about a little track that Pilly Graham Association used to put out called Finding Peace with God. I think it was called Peace with God. And it was just a four-point four gospel outline. Peace with God comes when we trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's when we, that's when we experience, finally, peace with God. The Bible says in Romans 5 that, we are, that we're sinners, that we're ungodly, that we're enemies of God. And Christ has reconciled us to the Father. And we're no longer en enemies of God. We are now friends of God. We, we are reconciled. The alienation is over. We have peace with God. The warfare is over. And, 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 that's a, and when we trust Christ, that's what, 
That's our, that's our situation. That's our condition. And it's a settled condition. And I hope you've made that commitment to Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world. But there's a difference between uh, that and the peace of God, which is more of an experiential thing in our lives. Experiencing the peace that Christ wants us to have on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour, moment-by-moment basis. That's different. <laughs> See, you can, you can feel disturbed and anxious, and yet you can have peace with God because Christ died for you. Christ died for you, giving you peace, and you're ready for eternity. But you want to have peace in your world today. You have to have the peace of God. So that's what we're talking about today. And I want to talk about several ways I think the text can help us uh, uh, to find this peace. First, we, we seek God through um, God-honoring relationships. Relationships that honor God is one of the keys to to seeking him and finding his peace. And, I, and, and, and this is in the first two verses um, that, we, that we read, the first couple of verses. Um, there's, there's two women, Euodia and Syntyche. I can never say her word, Syntyche. <laughs> there are two women at the, in, in Philippi who clearly have a rift, a relational problem has gone on. Paul knows of that problem. And he says, um, he, he entreats them, he begs them to agree in the Lord. And um, notice he calls him, he's a true companion. He, he says, help these women um, I have, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. And this is a phrase that he's used earlier in Philippians in chapter 1. Of, of their, their co-workers with him, their, their, their believers who are, are fellow disciple makers and leaders in some way in, 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 in the church. A little background about, about the origin, origins of the church uh, at, at Philippi for you. Um, the Apostle Paul went there to a, a prayer meeting at, down by the riverside in Philippi. Now, you know, when he normally went to a city in his missionary journeys, what did he do? He would, first of all, find a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, and he'd go sit there, and he, as a rabbi, he would be recognized, and he would be asked to give a word, and he'd give a word that was about the word, the Logos, Jesus. <laughs> he would be, and so he, he began with, with a Jewish synagogue audience and, and, and preached Christ to the, that. But in Philippi, he heard that there was no synagogue. He had to, there, there, was a, there were some women who were meeting um, uh, at the river, and so that's where he went. Because, you see, in the Jewish culture, you had to have ten men to have a synagogue. If you didn't have ten men, you couldn't have an official uh, gathering. So... There were some women who met uh, at the riverside, and that's where he goes, and uh, he finds the, the Jewish gathering there. Michael Gorman, who's a he's a he's a friend of mine. He's also a, in this area. He um, he's a, a theologian who's written on this. He says um, <clears throat> the Book of Acts reports the conversion and the baptism of Lydia and her household in, in chapter sixteen. She was a rich woman at the riverside. It also the, the exorcism of a fortune-telling slave girl. Verses 16 and 18. <clears throat> the conflict with the pagan merchant owners of the girl and with the Roman magistrates who had Paul and Silas beaten and jailed before learning they were Roman citizens. And then the conversion and the baptism of the Philippian jailer and his family. And it seems the conversion of others and the formation of a house church in Lydia's home. Women played an important role in the Philippian church. That, that's clear. 
And, and, so it, 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 and, and these two women are having some conflict. By the way, Jesus liberated women. That's another sermon, but if you look at the scriptures, look at the history, Jesus liberated women, and Paul went along with that and continued to, to work with women. Um, Paul had, had a great team of people around him. I want you to see that. Relationships are important in ministry. He, Paul had a team of people around him. The book of Philippians, if you have a Bible, turn to the, the, the first verse. It's not just written from Paul. He says Paul and Timothy. Timothy was with him. You know, first and second Timothy, that guy. <laughs> he is on Paul's team. Also, um, if you know in the book of Acts, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was on Paul's, was actually leading he, Princess Paul, was, and, and discipled Paul. We know from the book of Acts that John, who, John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, was on Paul's team. He and Barnabas and Paul had a rift over John Mark's continuing on the, on the journey. And so they separated. And then Silas became part of the team because Paul always worked with teams. We also know that a man named Titus, who wrote the book of Titus, Paul wrote that Titus to him. He, he, was in, he was sent to Crete. He was part of Paul's team for a while. One of the verses that really shows us about Paul's team is Acts chapter 20, verse 4 and 5. You have a Bible turned there. There we see some strange people whose names you may not recognize. They were part of Paul's team. I'll read it. Sopatar, the Berean. He went to Berea in chapter 17 of Acts, the son of Pyrrhus. He accompanied him, that's Paul. And of the Thessalonians, the Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, you know him from first and second Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. The, what's going on? These are the, 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 the men from the various cities where Paul had been ministering and found fruit, who are now with Paul for several reasons. One, there's an offering for the church in Jerusalem, okay? And, and, the, and so they're carrying the offering from their church to bless the people in, in Jerusalem who were having struggles, the church there. Secondly, they are the fruit of Paul's ministry. These are the leaders of Paul's ministry in the various cities to, to, to show the, the, the church in Jerusalem that I've been, I haven't been out there just messing around. I've been doing the, the Lord's work. Here's the fruit of my ministry. But thirdly, these are the leaders of the future. He's discipling, he's, he's making disciples, and he's apprenticing these men, and he will take them after training them and, and dispatch them in various places. My point is simply this. Paul did not work alone. Paul worked with, on a, with a team of people, and relationships were very important. And we see in, in this text that, it, that he, co, he had co-workers who were females as well, whatever that means. I, I'm, a P, I'm a PCA teaching elder, but he had women who were co-laborers with him, Okay? That's important. And even in the, the one person I, I left out is Epaphroditus, who was um, the, the leader, the messenger, or messenger and minister, I think it said in chapter 2, at Philippi. <laughs> Paul, Paul uh, reminds them that, that there's a, one he works with named Epaphroditus. Relationships are important, and relationships need to honor God. And if you want to seek the Lord, and yet your relationships aren't right, particularly people you're serving him with, then, then that doesn't work. We have to be in good relationships if we want to seek God. Maybe you're aware of uh, Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington, which is, which is a church that no longer exists, I don't think. Um, there's a very sad story of, uh, of the pastor there that uh, Christianity Today, Today magazine has had a podcast all, all the last couple months about Mark Driscoll and what's called the rise and fall of Mars Hill. 
profiling the many disturbing problems that have taken place there in, the, in that city, in that church, over the, the last 10, 15 years. Um, he, 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 he built a church from his, house, from his house to a church of 10,000 people that, that saturated various sites in, in Seattle, Washington, and, and uh, actually had sites in several other states. A church of 10,000, he wants to conquer the world through his writing, through his podcast, through his church. And um, it's clear, looking at what, what I've listened to, that he, was, he, had very, he had problems of narcissism, of intense anger, a lack of humility, just a toxic culture that didn't just destroy um, his ministry, but it destroyed, in a lot of ways, the faith of many people in the in, in Northwest um, Corridor of, of Seattle area. Uh, very sad. Toxic relationships destroy the work of God. You want to seek God? Have, make sure your relationships are right with God's people that you serve him. The second thing I see is, is, is we seek to God through, through God-centered prayer. This is really the, the, the key thing here, the, the, the idea of God-centered prayer. And um, starting at verse 4, and there's a song that says, Oh, that men would praise his name, would praise his name to the ends of the earth. You recognize that song? That song is, is by Israel Houghton and New Breed. In, in, in the name of the song, it comes right from verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. That's a refrain of that song. <laughs> you might recognize that. It's, the, 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 the verse is an invitation. It's, a, it's an exhortation. It's a command to rejoice. To rejoice in the Lord. One commentator, William Hendrickson, says this about, about this. <clears throat> Can one truly rejoice when the memory of past sins vexes his soul? When the dear ones are suffering? When one is per being persecuted? Facing possible death? But there is Paul, who does indeed remember his past sins, whose friends are really suffering, who is even a prisoner facing possible death. This is a prison letter. Paul's in prison. Yet, who rejoices and tells others to do likewise. It's evident that circumstances alone do not determine the condition of the heart and mind. Henderson says, for Paul, the reasons for joy were the following. <clears throat> One, there, that he was a saved individual whose purpose was in his entire person to magnify Christ. And he cites verses in Philippians for all these. Two, that this Savior, in whose cross, crown, and coming again, he glories, was able and willing to supply every need. Next, that, that others, too, were being saved. The apostle himself being used by God for this glorious purpose. Then, that he has many friends and helpers in the gospel cause who together formed a glorious fellowship in the Lord. That God was causing all things to work together for good, so that even death is gain when life is Christ. And lastly, that at all times he has freedom of access to the throne of grace. So he says, let the Philippians meditate on these things and rejoice, yes, rejoice. Always. And, and say, so we should do the same thing. We need to, when times get tough, we need to sit back and think about the resources and the blessings that God has given to us. He says in, in verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Interesting word, reasonableness. Hendrickson continues. He says this, um, 
um, he, he, he translates translate as the word big-heartedness. <laughs> different word, different translation. Some of the substitutes uh, that he noticed for that word in other translations are forbearance, yieldedness, geniality, kindliness, gentleness, sweet reasonableness, considerateness, charitableness, mildness, magnanimity, generosity. Big-heartedness, gentleness is what, is what God calls us uh, to have. Then he says that the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. When I first saw that, I thought he was trying to say, the Lord's here. The Lord is here. The Lord is here at hand. Henderson says this. This probably means that the Lord's coming soon. The Lord is at hand means that his coming is, is, is imminent. The Lord's coming is soon. I, I think that's probably what it means. I think he wants us to think that, that we're to have in this world a, an eternal perspective as we go through this world. And that helps us in our times of anxiety, doesn't it? You know, this world is not our home. And, the, and, 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 the, and trouble don't last always, as the, as the Spirit said, spiritual, spiritual song says. Yes, do we have an eternal perspective because the Lord is at hand. He's in control and he's coming again. The eternal perspective. Then verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Notice the various types of prayers listed there. Prayers, supplications, thanksgivings, requests, or petitions. Hendrickson says, the cure for worry is not inaction, neither is the cure for worry apathy. The proper antidote for anxiety is the outpouring of the heart to God. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking about the Lord's Prayer, he talks about the feeling of anxiety, doesn't he? He says, you of little faith, he's talking to the 12 disciples, you of little faith. He, he talks about the birds of the air that God takes care of, the, the flowers in the field that God takes care of and clothes them. He says, he's going to take care of you, you a little faith, because he is your father. You're his children. The same is true for us who have trusted in him. Henderson says that without thanksgiving, this is the phrase thanksgiving, without thanksgiving, it's like a bird without wings. Such a prayer cannot rise to heaven and can find no acceptance with God. Prayers with thanksgiving. It, 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 when you pray, when, you, when thanksgivings are part of your prayer, it's, it's a recognition that, yeah, God, I still know you're there, you see. It's not, it's not, not, not uh, often those who have children, you know that children so often can be so concerned about their own needs, they forget to thank the parents for what they've done. Kids, you ought to do that. <laughs> but we're, big kids are the same way with our father. God has done so much for us, and yet when we're anxious, we go to him, and we forget to thank him for what he's done. Paul says we need to do that. Prayer, supplications, with thanksgiving, and petitions. Verse 7 is a result of verse 6. It's not an automatic promise. It's a result. You do that, and then, as a result, the peace of God, will, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Peace of God. The word guard is an interesting word. Um, Philippians was a, was a Roman colony, and, and there were guards all over the city who were taking care, who were maintaining peace there. And uh, it's, literally, it's, it's, it's the word garrison. It was a garrison city. Let the peace of God be, be a guard around you, protecting you. 
guard. Guard is an interesting word. In football, you have a person who's a guard because he's protecting the runner. This morning on the news, I heard that there was a shooting in, in, in Houston where men, policemen who were acting as security guards at a nightclub were shot randomly, tragically. Um, but the guard protection is, is the word. And, 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 and the, the peace of God protects our hearts and minds. Interesting phrase, interesting concept. God's peace as protection of our hearts. Interesting thing happened this week. Um, so maybe, maybe you're a Star Trek fan. My wife was a Star Trek fan. A uh, Captain James Kirk, who's a fictionary person, but William Shatner, okay, went up and went, he finally got to go to space. Maybe he, this is the first time he's gone to space, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I guess he, in Hollywood he went to space a lot of times. But this week was the first time he really went up in space. And um, what, no, what I noticed uh, in, in interviews was the, the sense of amazement and, and the comments that he made. I'm going to read some of the some of his quotes. He said, um, I am overwhelmed. I had no idea, says, says William Shatner, following his space flight, which was um, Wednesday. He was overcome after launching in space. Um, he, he said this, he was moved to tears. He says, what you have given me is the most, he talks to Jeff Bezos, who's one of the, you know, the guys. You know who he is. What you've given me is the most profound experience I can imagine. I'm so filled with emotion about what has just happened. It's extraordinary. I hope I never recover, that I can maintain what I feel now. I don't want to lose it. It's so much larger than me and life. Everybody in the world needs to, to do this. Everybody in the world needs to see this, Shatner said to Bezos, brimming with emotion. Unbelievable. It was so moving to me. This experience is something unbelievable. And then the, the article I saw, it said, Shatner's words echo what astronauts have dubbed the overview effect, which is a new phrase for me. I didn't know that phrase. It's a psychological effect reported by those who have seen the Earth from space. The overview effect. And as, I, as I saw that, I said, you know what? When, when we pray, God wants to give us the overview effect that we can see our circumstances as he sees our circumstances from above. And, 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 and the promise of the verse is that when we do that, when we go to him, we begin to have a peace that passes all understanding. Like, and, and, and we can have the, the sense that Shatner has of, this is amazing, this is unbelievable, because it's something extraordinary, supernatural almost, about what God does to our hearts when he calms and settles our hearts. God-centered prayer is one way, of, uh, one key to seeking the Lord and finding his peace. Now, the third thing is in verses 8 and 9. I call this God-empowered discipleship. A God-empowered discipleship. What, what, what do I see that? Let me read the verses again. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Then he says this, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What's going on here? Well, first we have this list, this list of traits, the, the, these virtues that he has. 
good virtues that he says um, um, those things should, should, should dominate our thinking and we should, we should seek to, to emulate them, to practice those attributes and qualities and those uh, activities. That's good. And how do we know those, the things that are good and, and the things that have come to our mind, uh, that things are, are lovely and pure? We know that because of God's word, right? <laughs> we, you know, if you look at the world and try to figure out what is good, you can get confused. But if you look at the word, then there's clarity about what is good and what is not good, what is good and what is evil. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what's good, acceptable, and perfect. See, discipleship is learning how to follow Jesus Christ. Disciple-making is, is helping others Learn to follow Jesus Christ more closely. And Paul is exhorting us to do, he, he says, as you have seen me emulate Christ, do, practice these things, do, do this, and, and if you do that, you can have peace. You can have that peace. Uh, 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 lyricist, uh, author um, E.A. Hoffman is a, is a songwriter. hundred years ago he wrote a song that you, I'm sure you know, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Um, that's probably his most popular song. He also wrote a song that the church I grew up in, the Baptist Church in D.C., um, they sang this song every single week at the altar call when people came to pray. And um, it's, it, it's a song, you know, when you're a little kid, sometimes you get sick of hearing the same song all the time. That was me. But as I've gotten older, <laughs> I've come to appreciate the song. Maybe just the, the words of the song. You have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase and have earnestly, fervently prayed. But you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. All on the altar. That's alluding to Romans 12, that we're a living sacrifice. That's what's, It's allusion to that verse. Would you walk with the Lord in the light of his word and have peace and contentment always? You must do his sweet will to be free from all ill. All on the altar you must lay. Oh, we never can know what the Lord will bestow with the blessings for which we have prayed till our body and soul he doth fully control and all on the altar is laid. It's talking about giving, sending yourself, your heart to God, making him Lord clearly of your life. Who can tell all the love he will send from above, and how happy our hearts will be made. Of the fellowship sweet, we shall all share at his feet when all our all on the altar is laid. And so the verse, the, the chorus is, is, it starts with a question. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart, does the spirit control? Because you can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. I can just hear the saints 50 years ago singing that song in the Baptist church. Laying yourself on God's altar. You know, in the Old Testament, altar, you know, they, they, they died. You know, you lay on the, 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 
the, person, the, the, the one on the altar, the animal, died. But we're a living sacrifice. We get on God's altar. Christ died. We, we get to get up and then live for him. But we live for him as the spirit controls our heart. Does your heart the spirit control? You can only be blessed, have peace and sweet rest when you yield to him. Yield is the word from Romans chapter 6. When you yield to him, your body and your soul. It's talking about being a, a disciple who loves God. Discipleship is about knowing God. It's about trusting God. It's about obeying God. It's about yielding to the spirit of God. And Paul is, is urging them to do that as he has done that. Verse 9, he says, learn, receive, you've seen it in me. Godly disciple-making, modeling for others as mature believers. Mike Gorman again says, the call to embody the highest pagan virtue is fundamentally a call to follow the example of Paul and therefore of Christ to the extent that these universally acknowledged virtues are found in and defined by Paul as Christ's representative their divine origin is to be recognized and their adoption in mind and life will ensure the presence of the God of peace and thus the peace of God. There it is. That's where the verse ends. The peace of God. You do that and you begin to experience more clearly in your life God's peace. Making disciples is an important part of what God calls us to do. You know, the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And what is the last command that he gave? To go and make disciples. <laughs> so we make disciples who will make disciples. That's, that's, the, that's, that's what the church is to be about. That's what individuals in the church are to be about. Making disciples, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and, 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 and impressing that upon others, that they need to, that they need to love God with all their hope, soul, mind, and strength. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, What you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul says to Timothy, give it to other men who give it to other men. Disciple making that honors God. My, my role is, uh, with Baum is associate executive director there. And um, one of the things the mental adjustments I've had to make in the last couple years is that leading a ministry like Baum is not like pastoring. It's, like, it, there's, it's similar, but it's not exactly like pastoring. One of the things you do as a pastor is you have a flock of people that you're, that you're discipling. And you get to do that. You get to really pray and sweat over that one flock of people. Um, but when you're kind of in a, in a ministry like Baum, you, you're working with several flocks. Not as deeply, but you're working more broadly. That, that's, and for me and for Craig, who I think Craig will be here next week, it, there's a mental shift <laughs> that we have had to do in our own, in the way we do ministry, the way we, the way we do life. And it's, it's healthy for us at this older stage of our, of our ministry life. But, it's, it, but you know what? One of the things, one of the blessings for me personally is that you know, I now understand the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, if you know 2 Corinthians, you know what I'm talking about. I used to always read the book of 2 Corinthians and say, what is Paul? Why is Paul having so many problems with this church? I understand that now. Pa Paul unfolds his heart in that book. The issues he's having, the stresses he's having, the anxieties he's having over the church. He bears his soul in many ways. And I always used to say, well, come on, Paul. Come on, just love, just love the people. I understand because when you're, not, when you're not as deeply involved with people, sometimes there's misperceptions about you and, about, and you have about them. 
they have to wrestle with God, and Paul is wrestling with God. All that's to say that, that um, disciple-making is an important thing. We, we honor God as we make disciples, and, and, and one way that we seek God more clearly and find his peace is as we do the task of making disciples. He says, practice these things, and you have peace, peace. Now, one of the um, heroes of the faith for many people that I just kind of re- rediscovered in many ways uh, teaching church history at the seminary is Augustine of Hippo. He was a North African theologian uh, in the 4th century um, AD. Um, he was a rascal. Maybe you don't know this. He was a rascal for half, the first half of his life. I mean, very smart guy. rose up in his career. Um, he um, sold his wild oats, we might say, to use that idiom. Um, until age 32, he had a he had a, a child from his uh, girlfriend, his concubine, his living concubine, and they who he loved that child, and um, he his mother Monica really wanted him to get rid of to stop that relationship and find someone who was more wholesome and all that kind of thing. Anyway, age 32 is when God finally came into his life. Before that, he he said something like this. As he wrestled with God, here's what Augustine said. Lord, please give me chastity, but not yet. He wrestled, like like Paul in Romans 7, knowing what God wanted him to do, but not being able to do it. But at age 32, he met Christ in a real way. As the book of Romans, and God came to him, and um, his life was dramatically changed. And what's interesting about his life is that... Within five years, his mother passed away. His child, wasn't 20 years left, yet passed away. His best friend passed away. Within, the first, within five years after, he met Christ in a real way. And yet that didn't, that didn't destroy his faith. He had found peace with God. Probably his most famous quote from, from his confessions is, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. He found rest in Jesus Christ. And that rest that he found in Christ kept him through the storms of life that were to come in his life. Jesus loves to still storm still. You know the Gospels that Jesus took the disciples across the Sea of Galilee and storm came up. Remember that story? There was a song years ago, that before many of you were born, that was a popular song, and it, it's about that incident. Here's the song. Put your hands in the hands of the man that stilled the waters. Come on, old guys. You remember that song? You're, you're all younger than me. That's it. Okay. <laughs> Put your hands in the hands of the man who calmed the sea. Take a look at yourself. You can look at others differently. Put your hands in the hands of the man from Galilee. It was a very popular song in the 60s or 70s, I don't know, when I was, when I was a kid. But Jesus still waters. And we can trust him. You, 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 imagine that you are in the Old Testament days and you, you, you and, and these are the days before modern meteorology and a real understanding about storms. All you know is the sky's getting a little dark up there. <laughs> and, and, and 
All of a sudden, it starts to rain. And it really rains. And it really, really, really rains. We would call it probably a hurricane or a tornado, a real mega storm like that. that and, and, you're, and you're scrambling and things are blowing around. And then it stops. And you say, Whew, the storm is over. And then 15 minutes later, it starts again. And, and, and stuff starts flying around and the wind and rain come. And, and, and see, you don't know that there's this thing called the eye of a storm. You've heard of that. The storm, because there's a centrifugal, centrifugal. I can never get centrifugal, centrifugal together. It's one or the other, the one that goes around that way. There's a force. The storm is a force. It's a circular motion. And in the middle, there's peace. There's, there's no activity. And you've been in and so when you, you, you go through, you think you're, 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 the storm's over, but it's not. There it is again. Well, I, I think what, what Paul is saying, and that God wants us to see, is that storms come in our life, don't they? All of us have things that make us, disturb us. They disturb our peace, disturb our hearts. But when we pray, if we pray, when we pray, God will f- help us find that sweet spot. The eye in the middle of the storm of life. He's there. Jesus is there. Just like when Jesus was on that boat and the guys were saying, Find, give Jesus a bucket, wake him up, give him a bucket, come on, we're going to die. What was Jesus doing? He was asleep. Peacefully. And they woke him up. And he said, peace, be still. And the storm stopped. The eye of the storm is where Jesus is. And when we're in the eye of the storm, we can find God's peace. That's that's my prayer for you. God never promised us that there'll be no storms in life, no. But what he does promise is if we seek him, if we find him, if we cast down our idols and hold on to him who says, I will never leave you, we can find that amazing place of peace right there in the eye of the storm. Let's pray. Lord God, we are all in this world going through all kinds of trials and tribulations. You tell us to be of good cheer. You have overcome the world. Lord, help us to trust in you that we might be those who overcome the world. Lord, this this is not a new teaching for many of us. But Lord, there may be some things in our life right now where we need to trust you specifically and ask you to provide for us that place, that sweet spot where we can experience peace in the days ahead. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're with us, you're in us, and you provide for us what we need when we call upon you. I pray for each one. Lord, I pray for anyone who's here who isn't experiencing your peace because they still haven't made that commitment to Jesus Christ. They're still no longer yet your, 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 your sons or your daughters. May they trust Christ in a real way, knowing that you're able. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.